It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What's going on? Let's get into this. It is episode seven of the comprehensive history of Real Salt Lake brought to you by Reality Check. Now, we took a week off last week, so excited to bring this episode to you this week. It's really all about the transition from Jason Christ to Jeff Kassar there in 2014 and uh, a conversation about that club, the season that was. And uh, the first part of our chat will be with myself, Trey Fitzgerald, and Brian Dunseth. Interesting comments from Dunny. You're going to want to listen to the end because I did not know that there's a little bit of a frosty relationship now between Brian Dunseth and the aforementioned Jeff Kassar. But I'll let Dunny speak to that. You're going to have to listen for yourself there. The interesting thing is 2014 was a really good RSL side. Plus 15 goal differential. They were third in Western Conference in points, fourth overall. And then things fell apart from there. It was kind of the end of that golden era, or Camelot, as I like to refer to it. The second part of this, uh, this pod is a conversation with myself, Trey Fitzgerald, and Chris Comrani, who was the beat writer for RSL during this time frame. So excited for you guys to hear that. CK was great today. Um, re- reminder, please subscribe and rate and review the podcast. Uh, share it with someone you think might like it as well. A lot of great feedback from RSL fans. So I hope you enjoy it. Here it is, episode seven of the comprehensive history of Real Salt Lake. Yep, did it again. All right, we're back. Let's get into it. Uh, it is episode seven now of the comprehensive history of Real Salt Lake presented by Reality Check. Spence Checkets, Brian Dunseth, Trey Fitzgerald, Porter Larson staying up late with us, uh, producing the podcast. 
Uh, look, I, I, I get this feedback that I'm too daily on the podcast, but I'm going to thank my producer so you guys can deal with it to podcasty on the daily as well. Uh, episode six, a lot of fun. Uh, and, you know, this is kind of what we do. We open up the space, let the alchemy happen. We try to stick to a chronological timeline. And sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Got, uh, guys, how are we doing? Everything good? Doing great. Fantastic. All right. Um, so last episode was fun. It took us in a bunch of different directions, and we ended with an uh, in-depth conversation about the MLS Cup Final in 2009 featuring Sporting KC and RSL, the uh, the shootout. And I thought that was fascinating. I learned a ton because uh, I don't know if you guys knew this. I left for the Jazz in <laughs> 2011, so I wasn't around. Spence, time. can we go into your affiliation with the Jazz? Yeah, I mean, I just we, I left, so I just don't know. But now what we can do is traverse over from, because we talked about the ownership transition last episode because it was the first year that uh, Deloitte was the sole owner of RSL. So now we've moved on. Jason is in Manchester. Uh, Garth has not yet left. He's correct? got one more year. He's okay. got a lame duck year okay. coming up. So, so, so let's start with, Trey, we'll start with you, and then Donnie will go over to you. When I heard that the decision was made to replace Jason with Jeff Kassar, uh, I was thrilled for my friend Jeff, who I like an awful lot, yeah. and a little bit surprised that that was the direction. But tell me what it was from your vantage point. Um, I believe the announcement, it must have been before Christmas. So this is less than two weeks after MLS Cup. I remember we had a press conference in the 100 Lions Club. Deloitte, Garth, Bill, and Jeff. Um, the entirety of the staff was going with Jason to New York via Manchester. That's Miles and CJ. So everybody and Jeff was supposed Jeff. to go as well. Yeah, I think there was some indecision on Jeff's part. And, well... Gotta say, man. Jeff, I, maybe Jeff was originally gone and then... Oh, it's coming back to me. Okay. Robin Fraser. There you go. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. ding, ding. There we go. See, Dunny... We're back on track. Dunny gives me these looks. And the fact that I can actually sort of interpret them (laughs) is scary. You interpret that perfectly. Um, Robin Fraser, I think the legend is that he had a verbal agreement with Deloitte to become the head coach. And I'm gonna come over there and bang both your heads what? together if you don't stop no, with this clandestine. No, this, no, this I, is how I'm we communicate. This I'm is literally piecing this as together. As long as it ends with a verbal explanation of what's going on with this, you know, nonverbal <laughs> com- communication no, with, I, with you two. I haven't thought about this stuff in a long time. I don't know what happened with Robin. I've heard two theories. Okay. One theory is that Robin had promised Deloitte he would not use an agent, and at the eleventh hour he did use an agent, and that effectively, uh, you know, there's a breach of protocol or a broken promise. Which is a part of the Jason Christ, Richard Motskin negotiation when he was in the final year of his contract okay. and that Deloitte notoriously hates agents. Most owners do, but it's part of the part of the business. Yeah, I mean, I hate them because they used to call me up and lobby for more assists and other But it's also, meaningless it's also part of owning a sports sure. team. It's part of everything now. Um, you're exactly right. The other theory that I think we were all working with at the time, Robin was going through maybe a messy divorce that was playing out publicly on Facebook and that made some people uncomfortable. So so my timeline might be wrong. This might have been after Christmas. 
But anyway, yeah, you better get that right, bro. We end up having a, spoiling people's Christmases over here. We end up having a press conference with Jeff. So Jeff is the guy. Uh, can I ask you one question, real quick? Sure. And I don't know this. That's why I'm asking, just to genuinely yeah. ask. It felt like there were some hard feelings between Jason and Jeff as a result of Jeff deciding to stick behind. Is that, yeah, I think is that's that accurate. So was that kind of well? Jason, Jason remember, wanted Jeff on his staff. I mean, right, they were right. that's what they I'm were saying, best yeah. men in each other's weddings. Right, right. Well, and Jason, remember, Real Salt Lake had to pay a fine after Jason became right. head coach because Jason reached out to Jeff, who at the time was a Dallas Burn or FC Dallas assistant I coach. I about that, yeah. And broke the protocol of Major League Soccer, and so they had to pay a tampering fine. Mm-hmm. But Jeff was Jason's very first hire. That's right, yeah. So it is it is. Definitely and, complicated. And then Jason under- stole Robin out of our TV booth. I never got that compensated. What are you talking that? about? But you got me. This is true. Eternal, say, eternal man, compensation. December eighteenth, two thousand thirteen. Wow. So it was, was before. Holy Christmas. shit! Sorry. Because this all played out because really fast. Miles, Jason, and Jeff, and C- CJ. I don't know if CJ did, but they would all do that Christmas vacation yeah, in Hawaii, Hawaii yeah. together. So Jason and, and basically his staff and their family would go to Hawaii. The story that I was told was that Jason and Miles, and I can't remember if CJ was involved or not, was getting on the airplane, and that's when Jeff called Jason, hey, I'm not coming, I'm taking the RSL job. Oh, wow. And that's that was the story that I was mm. told. So there was this undercurrent of personal disappointment from Jay who had gone on and hoping Jeff would come with sure. him. As Jeff stayed behind to take, but I would job. assume that was also a part of the negotiation that Jason was sticking his neck out to make sure that because this is what you know coaching staffs do. Head coach has his loyal people; he takes them with him, right? And I think that was a part of the negotiation with Manchester City and probably Deloitte that Jason was making sure his assistants were getting taken care of too. So to then not only lose your first assistant and your goalkeeper coach, but then to have him stick around and take the job that you just literally walked away from because you knew how contentious the relationship was with Deloitte and the owner, It, I would assume Jason felt like he got stabbed in the back. But that being said, currently, Jeff Kassar is an assistant coach with Jason Christ at the U.S. Under-23 National Team Camp yeah. down in Guadalajara. Yeah, they sorted it all out, but I think there were some there. lingering feelings, and I'm speculating here, but maybe Jason felt like Jeff picked Deloitte over him at that at that time when things were raw. So why do you think Deloitte hired Jeff? Continuity. Um, the working theory is also that Jeff was cheaper than Robin. Why do you think he hired Jeff? He was the cheaper option. He was the easier option. And with a team that actually was not taken apart uh, and having Garth Lagerway, it was the easy transition. I mean, even with Pecky, even with Freddie, mm-hmm. I think that Deloitte's decisions with managers have, quote-unquote, never been the best option. They've been the right option. And usually, nine times out of ten, those options seem to be financially agreeable to the least amount of an extent that he's got to put out. So do you... Do you in th- my opinion. You know, and, and I think all... It's just good to talk about it, right? And get all these different viewpoints and different looks. I mean, do, do, you, do you think... We talk about, and not we, you and I, but do you think RSL fans or people that know soccer are fair to Jeff Kassar? Because 
Look, for me, it, it, it was pretty simple. Like, Jeff, to me, is the type of guy that's a great lieutenant and a great first assistant. He's Wade Phillips. He's a defensive coordinator. And that, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't view that as enough. Yeah, but I don't know that we do that at the time. See, I don't know, man. I, I kind of felt like we did, but okay. you were more innately involved. That was yeah, my take from the outside looking at it. But look. I have my Claret and Cobalt glasses Here's the other thing. The reason I bring it up is that team was good. That was not a bad team. Well, Jeff was the manager. Here's the other thing that pushed it over for Jeff is Kyle Beckerman, Nick Romando, all Bobby, those guys Bobby. called Deloitte and said, we want Jeff. And that's probably what ultimately may have now, done. Now, yeah. there are people after the fact that said, well, that was kind of selfish on their part. They felt like they could lean on Jeff or get they away with what with they Jeff. Right. They knew Jeff. Jeff it was, was comfortable. A, Jeff is a fantastic assistant coach. He's a great personality, and that was always going to be Jeff's biggest challenge, is managing the collective on his terms, which was going to be a totally different approach than how Jason did, because they they are completely different personalities when it comes to kind of the day you know the day to day, I'm in charge type of person. Well, and to that point, I think a lot of fans probably don't realize that. Jeff in that situation is the guy that people would go to after they're butting heads with the head guy, right? So Jeff had a long history of kind of being everybody in that locker room's best friend. And that served him very well. But the transition, as we found out over the course of two and a half, two two seasons and three games, was that it just wasn't, that transition from being the friend to being the chief authority figure, that transition was not made. And I'm not knocking Jeff on this because that's a transition no, it's that I don't think I yeah. can make. Yeah. People have asked me, why haven't, why aren't you the president of an MLS club? I've never even thought of myself that way. I'd rather be the guy at the table advising the five other guys how things are going to play out well, publicly. And to your point, 2014 was a fantastic year, right? Same, I think the same r- roster got better. Same roster, roster yeah. got better, right? You added yeah. George, points. You added Jordan Allen. You added Justin Glad. Right. You see some of these younger players coming through. Um, I Luke Mulholland comes in. Garth still had his fingers in managing this roster, but that was the really that was the last year. That was the big risk. This is what nobody really talks about too often. Is that Garth had to make a decision blow it up and start moving players on or keep the band together for one more real run. And that's what 2014 was. Mm-hmm. And so that that familiarity was hopeful that, hey, we can have another successful run. We can take advantage of CONCACAF Champions League. We can take advantage of the U.S. Open Cup. We can take advantage of the playoffs and fly. Brutally honest, this is the thing that I think Jeff it was unfair to expect him to succeed at. It wasn't the managing of the team. It was stepping in front of the microphone. When you follow up Jason, who can get caught up, I think, at times in overthinking maybe what the question is to give the answer, Jeff Jeff, Jeff was easy. Jeff was Jeff's simple. a good time, man. Jeff's explanation was very clear and easy. Whereas Jason, it was like pulling teeth trying to get any type of information or any type of 
So Jeff, as a player, was a fun interview because it was like, oh, hey, man, we won. It's great. Fantastic. Right? Well, when you are now asking a guy like Jeff to step in front of the camera as the leader of this group of players and explain why tactically he made this substitution at this moment of this match, which ultimately failed because it either didn't have the impact or the team was disbalanced and the you know the, the game was lost. That becomes more complicated to express in a manner in which is easily absorbable for a fan base. And I don't think it suited him. No, it from didn't. From my vantage it point. Yeah. It didn't. And, and look, it, again, And I tried to protect him. I tried to make it very simple, very clear. And it's I, because who doesn't love Jeff Kassar? Well, Jeff, was, Jeff, Jeff, to me, was a good dude. I completely agree with that, 100%. But did you have a premonition right from the start? Because one of the questions I wanted to ask you, did you ever in your career play for your friend? Did you have a head coach that was also your friend? Not like, hey, no, what, like, because you know. I, well, John Ellinger. Mm-hmm. I mean, I played for Ellinger on the under 20s yeah, and the under 23. He's like 65 years old. You know what but I'm you saying? You could still go play golf with John. Fair enough. But I get what you're re- saying. But the reason I bring it up is, and I shared this in episode two, the day I knew Jason Christ was a killer is the day he traded Chris Klein. Mm. And I saw that come across and I was like, holy shit, he doesn't care at <laughs> all. That means he's got a chance. I don't view a, a head coach as someone that should be friends. Not well, should, but I just don't think it's a working Jeff, Jeff scenario. Jeff played with me. Jeff played with with. J- uh, Did you play with, with Kyle? With Nick Romando. Yeah. Kyle, Kyle, Nick, Garth, yeah. Andy. Played with yeah. Garth. Played yeah. with they Andy. were all on those fusion we, teams. We were all, at some point, we all interact, uh, intersected through the Miami Fusion. Yeah. This, this is, it sounds so horrific, and I don't mean it in this way, but if you would have asked anybody at the time, would Jeff Kassar be a head coach in Major League Soccer? I guarantee you 100% would say no. Yeah. And that's not I would have I would have said the same thing about Connor Casey sure. who ended up being the interim head coach at Colorado Rapids. There's just guys that you would never ever ever expect to turn pro. If you said to me Kyle Beckerman, the Kyle Beckerman that I knew in the first 5 years of Major League Soccer, would he be a head coach of Major League Soccer? I would tell you absolutely no way. Yeah. But now if you say could there be a chance for Kyle Beckerman to be a head coach? I would say Maybe mm-hmm. because we'll, you know, he 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 got older, he got more mature, and your viewpoint changed. Yeah, I I just I don't. Again, the easiest and the right decision versus the best available. It's a complicated conversation, and I think that's why Jeff's tenure is complicated. I have a picture on my phone, and I don't want to say who sent it to me on air. I'll tell you guys when we're done. Uh, Jeff's first year midway, someone sent me a picture, and Jeff is wearing a Lionel Richie tank top. Lionel Richie is cross-eyed. He has his arm around someone on the staff I didn't know, and he is blasted. Yeah, this was at that concert venue out uh, west there. And that's why you want to hang out with Jeff Kassar, but he's not (laughs) the head coach of your soccer team, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, that. I know the picture you're talking about because I've seen it. Uh, I think he was there with Daryl Shore. Craig yeah, Craig Weibel came into the organization as an assistant coach for From this Washington, year. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Um, and, Paul Dalgleish. and Paul Dalgleish was an assistant for a third of the year, half of the year. From your vantage point, what would was, did you feel like that this was a little bit of a sinking ship this year? No, Were you still on board? I was still heavy? on board. Okay. Um, Weibel was a really good coach. Weibel did a lot of good things mm. on that coaching staff. Yeah. yeah but obviously, and, you're and, loyal and again, to Garth, and Garth yeah, is still there. Garth. Yeah. Garth and Bill were still steering the ship. Um, and look, the roster 
we didn't lose much between no, 13 better. and 14. Um, now, if you look at the 2014 season, this is where we have the same amount of points as we did the previous year, but only one loss at home. So 11 wins, five draws at home. That's the bulk of your points. The road form dropped off a little bit, but you still end up fourth in Major League Soccer. So basically, I mean, I think we thought of this as, hey, this is Jason's team. Jeff's just coaching it with a new staff. As Dunny mentioned, uh, Justin Glad is added to the roster as a 16-year-old. He didn't play a regular season game. Jordan Allen is added to the roster as an 18-year-old. He played twice for 11 minutes in the regular season. But Sebastian Velasquez sees an increased role. Sebastian Jaime arrives. John Sturzer, Aaron Mond, um, Chris Schuler, Cole Grossman, Abdulai Mansali, Devin Sandoval are all playing major roles. Carlos Salcedo is playing a much bigger role than the year before. Um, it's a World Cup year. Kyle and Nick are gone for two months in the middle of the summer. So Jeff Atnella comes in and steps up. Olmos Garcia comes in and scores three goals. Sabo gets hurt um, in training camp for Costa Rica. But his first game back, he literally runs onto the field from the fourth official's table in the preeminent Major League Soccer Willis Reed moment and scores a header against Mm -hmm. Dallas to win the game. A Willis Reed moment? Yeah, that's that's for all you Knicks fans, Porter and Spencer. All two of us in Salt Lake. But, I mean, like, Luis Gill had 16 starts, played in 26 games, but didn't scored less than half as many goals as he did the year before. So there was a regression there. Luke Mulholland comes in as a major contributor, 24 starts, six goals, six assists. Um, it was it was still like you still felt like it didn't feel like you were turning the page as much as maybe. Was Wing still here for the yeah, entire year? Yeah. He went to New York the next year. Correct. Okay. So. And what I had forgotten about that we didn't talk about on the last episode was that Alave and Will Johnson were moved on before that 2013 yeah, year. Right. New York, yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't know if it was 13 for Alave or if it's this year we're talking about now for Alave where he was MLS Defender of the Year for the Red Bulls. I think it was his second year at Red Bull when he did that. Can I just interject real quick? Whose brilliant idea was it to move on from Homison? Uh, it was Gar's like, salary cap. Oh, yeah, they were up against it because they'd had so much success. And, and because you were heading into a World Cup year, remember you had Kyle was up for a new deal. Mm-hmm. Nick was up for a new deal, being rewarded for World Cup qualification. Strictly World. dollars and cents then. Financial. Well, financial you kind of remember, none of these guys had ever really broke 200. 250 was like the max wage. So this was evenly spread out. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, you're talking about MLS All-Star Games, MLS Best 11s. So... Not only you know fifty thousand dollar bonus here, twenty five thousand dollar bonus there. So right there for the following year, you say if you're two hundred thousand, now you're two seventy five. That's sure. your base salary. Yeah, they had all these guys succeeding. Everyone was hitting their bonus structure. Yeah, rising tide. Yeah. And 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 you still had guys that had been here through all the success that had gotten their raises. So Borchers, Gravavoy, Morales, Winger, Beckerman, Beltran, Schuler comes of age. Ramondo, Mulholland's new. This is Plata's coming out party. I mean, 13 goals and three assists. I think yeah, he had a mo- big deal afterwards. More yeah. than 50% of his shots that year were on goal, if I recall correctly. Uh, Olmos Garcia was playing a lot, not producing much. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, you had Salcedo, Sandoval, some of the other young guys 
Monsterts or Grossman coming and stepping up. And then Jaime was the midseason uh, DP edition. And this was not his big year for RSL. That came uh, in 2015 when he scored a lot, but he scored a lot for a bad team. A couple of things standing out that I didn't know about because, again, I you know left in 2011. <laughs> um, the Galaxy stomped us 5-0 in the second leg of the first round of the playoffs. I did not know that. Landon, Landon Donovan had a hat trick. Uh, so that's that's how the season ended. Yeah, but it was Robbie Keane. That was Robbie Keane mm. absolutely murdering um, Carlos Salcedo. So yep. there's there's that that I want to get into. And then the Atlanta Silverbacks beat us in the Open Cup. Yep. So that's not cool. Yeah, I remember that. So do you want to start with MLS playoffs, how the season ended? Because I don't have any memories of this game. The Galaxy that, stopped So us. that was the game where Robbie Keane had Carlos in his back pocket. Um, and it was kind of a curious time because I don't think Carlos realized. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. He was so adamant about being a young player and a very dynamic young player who's gone on to tremendous success with Chivas de Guadalajara, Eintracht Frankfurt, multiple World Cup teams. Uh, is currently with Tigres down in Mexico, making like $13 million a year. Awesome. Good for him. Um, but great. had there was some stuff outside... Um, agent, father, interest in Liga Mekis, Um, the perception that he himself should not be behind Chris Schuler or Nat Borchers at this stage of their career. And Borchers, unbeknownst to him, was going to be moved in the offseason, and Salcedo was going to be the starting center back with Chris Schuler. After that game down in LA, immediately... I'm getting tagged on Twitter that Carlos's dad is napalming the joint. Um, and 
he Carlos, I believe, started liking the tweets, which compounded the situation because not only was it going after the teammates, it was going after Kassar, and Carlos's dad was napalming Kassar as well. And, and Wingert and Borchers and like and the all hierarchy. these guys. Yeah, There's right. a lot of stuff about this online. Yeah, and, I, didn't, and, I didn't know about and this. And Dunny, I think I remember you and I walking into the hotel from from the broadcast, and Carlos was already showered, dressed with his suitcase, walking out of the hotel. Like, yeah, and ya. I had a good relationship with Carlos, and we talked to him on the way out, and he's basically like, "F it." Yeah. I'm out. And he wasn't joking. Um, and it made the situation, there was no way that he was going to be able to come back to that locker room. Mm-mm. Can I ask you, it was that bad. let me ask you a question, ignorance, because I, honestly, this is another, I'll plead ignorance overall, and he's really good. Is <laughs> there a thought process that we really screwed the pooch on that one because of how good he's turned out to be? Or was well, that, yeah. a, mar- or was that no, a marriage that was going to end in divorce? No, well, I think I, I think that was going to be a situation where the trajectory of his career was always going to be outside of Major League Soccer. Okay, that, and that's my question. But he was probably what we all thought two to three years away in terms of his development. And it could have been two to three really good years here. Is that fair? 100%. Okay. And what ended up being an incredible season and a half at Chivas de Guadalajara that immediately propelled him into the national team Mm -hmm. as a starter on the national team, which then was a huge, there, there was, there was some stuff with his dad and his family and it was super complicated and it was all public down in Mexico. Um, And then he went to Eintracht Frankfurt where Marco Fabian, another uh, Mexican national team player was, he won a DFB Pokal. He won the German cup against uh, Bayern Munich, I believe. Um, and then came back to Tigres and plays for Tuca Ferretti down in Tigres and is making monopoly money. And he's <laughs> playing, he's, he has 37 caps. So he's, yeah, he's, no, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's playing the World Cup for Mexico. Yeah, he's, he's a starter. He's a starter. So, for so bring us back to why this is pertinent to MLS Cup with Keane. Well, because that was kind of the game that it was, you know, the, the Robbie Keane experiment. He was just a little bit off. He wasn't there yet. And okay. this is this is Robbie Keane still in his heyday. Kind of at the arc, you know, the, the final moments of his career with the LA Galaxy, which I'll still say to this day, you know, you can talk to me about Giovinco and all these other incredible players that have come into Major Joseph Martinez. Robbie Keane, that trifecta with him, Landon Donovan, and Jossie Zardes, yeah. for me is the best three that I've seen. When it was going, I could even recognize how special Robbie they are. I remember Robbie that Keane is special. Sure. Was yeah. special. And, you know, he had him in his back pocket for a couple of those matchups. Is Robbie Keane the best DP in the history of Major League Soccer? I, I could make an argument. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I think when that happens, you lose 5-0, and you're sitting on the bench, and you're a young kid, and you're saying, these guys suck. Mm-hmm. He's got, this guy's too old. This guy's not that good. Uh, and then your dad fillets it. I just think it became a situation where they had to move him for the best price they could get. I think it was Santos was the other team in Mexico and that there was a sell-on fee um, and RSL's transaction with regards to Carlos is complete because there was whispers that uh, Houston Dynamo were going to go after him and get him not too long ago. You know, um, I w- oh, no, go ahead. But he's come back a few times. Has he? Yeah, he was, he was boys with it a looked, bunch of the guys. I, I think if his, his dad w- was literally spent living on Twitter 
flaming everyone in the organization every day for it was crazy almost the whole second half of that season. I think it started with his dad going after Garth for not getting Carlos into the Chipotle homegrown game at the All Star, oh, yeah. and it it got to the point a couple years I think after he left here where he told his dad he couldn't be his agent anymore. Okay. If that had happened maybe at an earlier juncture, maybe his trajectory with this club is different. So did Chipotle sponsor that game? Yes. Okay, I was going to say. Sorry. Like, uh, That's when I had I my mean, free Chipotle card. Shout out to Ch- Chipotle, the sponsor. Near and dear to my heart. I'm sorry. I, I, look, was I, that, I, that was the game out in um, in San Jose, right? That was correct. the Arsenal? Correct. That's the one where Brooks Lennon got hurt, popped his hamstring, Landon Donovan and Stu Holden were the coaches. Well, and to show that you're a marketing expert, you always give credit to the sponsors. That's great. Um, but uh, a, a couple of different things. I, I always say, like, relatives, let your famous family member be famous and stay out of it. Dads, don't get on Twitter. Brothers, you know, like Russell Westbrook's brother, let your family member who is famous be famous and don't get involved because it never ends well. It, it don't become infamous. Right. Like, um, you think about, uh, 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 you know, a, a wife of a certain RSL player after maybe a couple of Pinot Grigios getting on social media and deciding to unload, like it never ends well. You're going to have to be more specific. I was just saying generally speaking. <laughs> or going up to Katie Mattis in the booth and screaming. Wow. Her it never ends well. Husband wasn't on the all-star ballot. Let the famous people in your family be famous and don't try to get involved. Um, yeah, and see, that's a. I think that five zero loss in LA was particularly crushing because we had drawn in the first leg here is probably the windiest game I remember at Rio Tinto. Do you remember the locker room after the match? Did it feel like in LA? Yes. Did it? Yeah. I, I mean, the, I always like to. I, I always like to hear about locker rooms immediately after something either very special or very. Uh, tragic, like the end of a season that ends like that when you just got your ass kicked. Well, did, the, but hold on, did it feel like the right group was in the mix, or did it feel like change was inevitable? Because change was coming not too long after this with Garth and such. What was the feel around the team? Is what I'm asking. Yeah, I think I think we were more resigned to the fact that Garth was gone than we had been with Jason. There was still hope that a deal could be struck for Jason the year before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was evident. That Garth's... Um, so his exodus didn't catch you off guard? No, no, okay. not Donnie, at all. Donnie, you? Were you expecting it to happen? No, he he and Deloitte were complete polar opposites yeah. in terms of how they went around. It was, about it was irreconcilable actually. at that point. Okay. Um, and it had been for a while. Interesting. Now, in terms of the locker room, though, like the only quieter locker room that I remember than that one that night in L.A. was the Cup in Kansas City the year before. Okay. Um, I mean, that was that was a much more devastating loss. I think this loss was one of those things where and Dunny probably knows more than I do about how guys were kind of feeling in that moment. But I mean, the five, nothing, I think caught everybody off guard and certainly Carlos was an easy target because Robbie Keane was on fire and Carlos was always one or two steps behind him in all those opportunities. Landon also had a couple goals. Um, they were a juggernaut. They just, I mean, it could have been 10, nothing. That's yeah. how bad that game was. Um, and nothing, 
we just didn't put up any resistance, which I think caught everybody completely off guard. Okay, so let's move now from um, – oh, a thought on the Open Cup. Does it matter that this random team that I've never heard of knocked us out? No, because okay. no, no one cares about the Open Cup. I agree. And, I, and, no, I agree and we played a C team in that. Okay, so let's move over now um, from Garth to Craig Weibel, how that all came down, What whatever you guys want to share. I, as you mentioned, you didn't feel like it was a surprise as a result of the – uh, butting of heads, as it were, a consternation between Deloy no, and Garth. So let's talk about that transition. And the process around Garth, I think, was pretty public. Like, everybody in league circles and even in league media circles, I think, was, okay, let's see what Garth can do working for a organization in Seattle that spends has money. the largest payroll in the league. Yeah, spends money. Um, can, he, can, he, can he recreate kind of the infrastructure that Real Salt Lake had on the field yeah. while then being able to roll around in Monopoly money. Yeah. And that's because exactly even though they were spending Monopoly money, they didn't have the star power like we talked about with the international stars. Like, yeah. uh, you know, there was no Lampard or Gerard or, or Kaká or Pirlo yeah. or Villa. They went Obafemi Martins, Clint Dempsey came back. Right. Um, and even in the transition since, Raul Ruiz Diaz and Nicolas Ladero. I mean, the guys that, that Seattle is capable of bringing in were costing, on average, around $5 million just to purchase them, mm-hmm. and then anywhere from 4 to $6 million salary per year. But, but remember, multiple players. Seattle's averaging 45,000 fans a game. Yeah. Sometimes up to 60-something. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, four to six times a year, they'd open it up. So their, their, their gate for one game is probably... Two and a half to three times because they have a higher average ticket price. Well, they're the number six media market in the country. Seattle's not some northwest podunk city. Seattle is a serious spot. Well, and anywhere you go, and they had that one of the original Adidas deals where they were like pumping out Seattle Sounder Mm, jerseys, and they had kind of all of these unique colors. So they were ahead of their time from day one. So this was not a. I mean, I'm sure you were sad Garth left, but you knew that he was going to do something that was pretty cool for him. But the transition to Craig Weibel, how did we get there? So Weibel, Weibel had been an assistant. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't do no, the no, thing no. again. Are we doing the thing again? No. I'm just <laughs> All right. Okay. Weibel had been an assistant coach uh, under Kassar the year before, mm-hmm. was still on staff. Weibel had Seattle ties. Okay. Because he had been coaching at the University of Washington uh, prior to coming to Salt Lake after the end of his career in Houston. I had just done games with him with the Pac-12. On Pac-12. Yeah. Um, he was commentating. No, no, I was commentating. He, he was, was the he assistant was coaching. coach for University yeah. of Washington. And within oh, one calendar okay, year, okay, gotcha. and, he became and, assistant and that was his coach and then general manager. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, he's got some great Steve Sarkeesian stories about campus co-eds, if, if we want to get into that. I just which remember, I don't think we do. I just remember hating Craig when he played. Yeah. Uh, for Houston, no, when he played oh, against us, I, yeah. I just remember really just... He, he, was like a, a he was a thuggish... Wow. He was wow. a thuggish right back. Yeah. Yes, that sounds about um, right. And he's laughing. If he listens to this, he's just going to laugh. And I, I'm going to get Craig on. Told him I wanted to, co- I wanted to have him call. What I think happened, and I don't remember if, I think this was before Garth was officially gone, but Seattle had called and asked for permission to talk to Weibel, I think for their USL job. Yeah. Or to be an assistant coach. Or an Eric. assistant coach. And, and the reaction was we're not going to lose two people to Seattle. So 
Um, Craig was not made GM. He was made technical director. So even though Elliot was assistant GM in 2015, we went until I think August without a general manager. And it was only when Bill Manning was let go in August of 2015 that Craig was elevated from technical director to general manager. Was what? What was the reaction when Craig was elevated? Because I, I honestly don't know. Like I said, I had some context with Jeff when he was made head coach. I had my you know reservations, but I don't. I don't know Craig for, you know all that well. So yeah. what was the reaction when he was hired? I think Craig was buoyed by the fact that Garth endorsed him. Okay, is that fair, Donnie? Yeah, Weibel is extremely intelligent. That's not what I asked you. I asked you what the reaction no, was. No, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm giving you context. To my answer, extremely intelligent. Uh, so when Garth likes you and he sees something in you, um, I remember Garth saying to me, "I think you can do this job," mm-hmm. and I was like, "Holy shit!" Ringing endorsement. You meant something. Oh, I, met, I went. I met with another team, and it was because of Garth reached out to the other team hmm. and said, like, you need to talk to Dunny. That's cool, yeah. And I remember when I had that in my back pocket, I was like, wow, okay. Like, he he thinks higher of me than I think of myself. Mm-hmm. So, And we all need that sometimes. Oh, of course. I mean, it's yeah, pretty yeah. cool. It's a really cool moment. Yeah, definitely. So I know that having – I have known Weibel for a long, long time. And thankfully, our relationship as friends was previous and post – during this whole time. Mm-hmm. And he and I have stayed close the entire time. Did that make the working relationship complicated at all when no, you had to interview easier. Him? It was so much easier. Oh, I, I think out of, and I love Garth, and Garth opened the doors mm-hmm. multiple times, but our relationship, Wibes and I see things very similar, and the amount of conversations I had with Wibes about different things, um, random, I was in LA walking to Starbucks and I get a phone call and it says Craig Weibel. Craig Weibel had just been told from Dominic Kinnear and the Houston Dynamo that he had been cut and Wibes called me. I was the first person outside of his wife. I was the first person he called and oh, asked wow. me, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. And I was like, well, what do you want to do? And he ended up going to Michigan and coaching at the University of Michigan then went to UW. So he and I have always been, we've always had a, a pretty, pretty awesome background of a relationship. Um, so when Garth told me that he wanted Weibel to jump in, I thought Weibel was intelligent enough to literally cannonball into one of the most complicated systems there is to learn, which is <laughs> trying to figure out these stupid MLS rules, mm-hmm. uh, salary budgets, and come out swinging. So you had confidence he could do the job. 100%. That's interesting. Do you, are you, were you in the same boat, Trey? Yeah, I mean, Weibel had to make a decision. Did he want to stay on a coaching path, which he clearly had cultivated from everything Dunny just said, Michigan, Washington, uh, RSL. And he had a lot of the same thoughts that we talked about with Dunny on the last episode. Like the stopwatch. If you're you're a GM, you're hired to be fired, and that clock starts ticking the day you're hired, the minute you're hired. And how was it going to be? But Weibel's very smart. He... He asks a ton of questions. He's very curious. Um, I don't think he ever stopped in his five, whatever, four and a half plus years in that position. And he still hasn't stopped peppering agents, coaches, players, league, ownership, 
other GMs, etc. Um, trying to find that those margins and trying to find that edge mm-hmm. or those those, loopholes yeah. as this league's Byzantine rules continue to evolve. Where can he find those edges? And and that's just who he is. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, Weibel, Weibel was somebody that I spent a lot of time with to become more of a voice and a face for the club. Mm. He was brilliant. Because Jeff... You had to protect Jeff him. had one note. And when the team struggled in 2015, that note started to hit hollow. And so we needed Craig to step up and and try to explain... The philosophy, and one of the things we didn't really talk about much in the last episode about 2014, um, because the results were there, but we went away from that diamond. We went away from a lot of those attractive tactics of of the Jason Christ era in 2014. Yeah, Yeah. and so in 14 and 15, we go to a 4-3-3. The games were just uglier, and even though we had a lot of the same personnel. And look, when the transition worked, when we could go from two passes from Borchers in the back to Plata up top and score, it was fun. But it was just different. And and it really wasn't until this year where we're talking about now, in 2015, where the team coming off two back-to-back 56-point seasons in 13 and 14 only gets 41 points, basically has a 500 home record, Um only scores 1.1 goals per game. Like things really went sideways hard in 2015. And you know, this, this is partially what burnished, polished the reputation or the revisionist history around Garth's brilliance. I mean, look, we all spend enough time around Garth to know he's brilliant, but I'm think from the fan base's perspective, he leaves and we have that precipitous of a drop, bam. Look, whether it's real or not, perception is reality. Right. And I always get a kick out of the fact that my father's last year, the Garden was 99, and then left in 2000, and 99 was the year they went to the finals, then they traded Ewing, and then for 20 years it's been atrocious. Now, my father would tell you it has everything to do with players and coaches, but right. because his last year was the last best year, Nick fans have this reverence for him. It's the same thing. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. It's perception. And, and, you know, I'm looking at this roster that represented RSL in 2015, and you still had Beltran, Mulholland, Beckerman, Ramondo, Morales. Hamas and Alave was reacquired, and those are your minutes. Those are the guys that play the bulkier minutes. Then you have Aaron Mond, who who I think had really good games and had some, some rough ones. Devin Sandoval, same thing, had some great games, had some rough ones. Plata goes from 13 goals to four. Sebastian Jaime, who had a lot of pressure on him, he's the first. He's the club's first really million dollar player, and he only had five goals on the year, and I think three of them were in one game at Colorado. Uh, Luis Gill con- con- uh, continues to decline. Um, Demar Phillips was a decent acquisition, but not a game changer. Olmos Garcia, eh? Abdullah, Elias Vasquez. Uh, this is a year where Sabo decides to kind of go AWOL. Uh, Jordan Allen might have been one of the few bright spots that year. Atanella, Sturzer. I mean, John Sturzer's playing in 19 games for you. I don't 
know that that's a great sign. Uh, we did get Burrito Martinez midseason, so his really coming out party was the next year, but he showed flashes of brilliance. It, it was Luis Silva's Burrito. first go round. Uh, Justin Glad, seven starts, or sorry, six starts. Schuler was hurt that whole year. He just could not get his bones uh, to heal. He literally had a calcium deficiency. Uh, Fanny Cavita started playing a little bit. Nice hometown story. Bofo Saucedo was probably your emergent youth story. Uh, Boyd Aquano, who you drafted, he didn't do much. Pekka, who I completely forgotten about, is a guy that was essentially an average USL player that shouldn't have been here. Um, so it was just a it was a struggle that whole year. As I mentioned before, Bill Manning's out um, when his contract. Six months after his contract was up, actually. Um, it was just a year of turmoil. So it's he, interesting. Oh, go ahead, Danny. I was going to say, do you remember when we had this conversation, you were asking me about front office gigs? Yeah, yeah. This is the year I was talking about. Oh, okay. This is the reckoning. You didn't want to walk into this situation? Th- this, from 14 <laughs> to 15, was the reckoning. Yeah. And interesting, yeah. Garth was out the door. Bill Manning was just waiting to get out the door. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. There was a leadership vacuum that was happening. There was a, re, a complete reorganization of the club. When Bill Manning left, there was, up until Zarcos came back, what, a year and a half ago, the team president was Deloitte Hansen. Yeah. Yeah, look, from there's, 2015. Yeah, there's yeah. a reason nobody jumped from the lifeboats to now, the Titanic. And that's, you know, that's not something you want to do for, for, as, as like a career that. move. That's a good shout. Well there you go. There. Yeah, yeah, thank you. This is Four also, hours a day, man. That's all I do. Just talk, <laughs> well, come up with interesting Oh, things. I got three, man. Yeah, I, know, I know, I feel you. In, in compounding the turmoil that I just described, this is the year that we started the Monarchs. I was going to bring that so up. So you, you have well, another that, yeah. 35 games with no real growth in the staff, playing their games at Rio Tinto this year, yeah. and it just burned everybody out. So stress and, is and, at an all-time high. Mm-hmm. Results are at, for, you know, in effect, an all-time low. And that was Freddie Wars' first year, and he was in charge of Real Monarchs. Yep. Same year. Yeah, and and what we'll get into, talking about the Monarchs, and I, uh, I feel like we've kind of danced around this in certain discussions, the mandate for the Monarchs was not just to win and not just to develop young talent. It was to do both. Yeah. And that's sort of like you walk into any ad agency and it says speed, quality, price, pick any two. Mm-hmm. There's a reason you don't pick all three. So a couple of things. It's interesting. <laughs> One of the things that I've used as a North Star here is the timeline you put together for RSL.com before you left. 
And it's very detailed until you get to 2015. And then it's like little bullet points because obviously that wasn't Because I was, in- was hanging downsizing banners for the Monarchs. I was going to say, I'm sure that wasn't a very inspiring <laughs> season. So you mentioned the Monarchs, March 22nd, 2015. Um, your three bullet points for 2015 for RSL is the Monarchs start to play, the Monarchs' first victory, and Kyle Beckerman breaks the all-time appearances record for a field player in MLS passing Steve Ralston with 379 appearances. You don't say anything about the coaching. You don't say anything about the team. Mm. So was this kind of, you know, tell me when. <laughs> this t- might have been Taryn Meyer's uh, timeline. Uh, Fair uh, enough. But th- tell me about the noise surrounding Jeff, because this is when well, it all came apart for Jeff. It became. Uh, it became. I want to be clear. That's Jeff Kassar, the coach. It became acerbic. It became acidic. It became full of venom and vitriol. Tell me social why, me, social why? media is rising. Uh, Jeff is under constant attack by our fans. Um, I don't I don't recall that internally there was a complete loss of confidence in Jeff. I think there was still hope because Jeff had pedigree. Jeff had been here uh, for the good times, but things just weren't adding up. And honestly, the game that. I, I remember walking into Bill Manning's office after a home Open Cup loss to Portland. Did which, you have a Dollar Dog in your hand? <laughs> Dollar Dog. Just out of curiosity. No, As no. You As Maybe you Dollar Dogs would have changed the the uh, karma on the on the evening. But I remember walking into Bill's office, which I never did, and it's just like, I mean, Bill looked like he'd been run over by a truck, and little did either of us know that. He, you know, that was a Wednesday night. I think he was gone by the next Tuesday. But it was such a devastating loss. Like I think it was an open cup quarter against Portland. Um I wanna say Borchers was in Portland. He might have even scored against us that night, Dunny. And uh that was when it was kinda like, Okay, this is not this is not our our club the way we've always thought of it for these last six years. And remember, so Weibel leaves the coaching staff. Richie Williams comes into the coaching staff who had just left the U.S. under-17 men's national team at the time. So he was a more accomplished coach, head coach, than Jeff Kassar was. So then you had this super interesting dynamic happening. Tyrone Marshall came in because Paul Dalglish left after six months because he felt like he was more of an accomplished head coach than Jeff Kassar was. So you had these, mm-hmm. and in the following year, uh, Weibel took Freddie from the Monarchs to put him with Kassar to start the season to give him a little bit more um, tactics, a little bit more nous, a little bit more support. Uh, and that's when in that, that offseason, after the end of this season that we're talking about, that offseason, I got a call from Weibel saying, well, what do you think about Pecky? Because at the time, Mike Pecky was on my show, co-hosting Sirius mm. XM with me because um, he wanted to hire him for the Monarchs because Pecky had been out of a job since getting fired unceremoniously from the New York Red Bulls. And I said to him, are you setting him up to take over if Kassar fails? He said, if Mike thinks he's getting the Real Salt Lake job, I don't want him to take this job because I am hiring him for the Monarchs. Hmm. And so that's when he had hired um, Mike with for the Monarchs and he had brought in... Um, his assistant coach. Oh my gosh, I'm going blanks. Mark Briggs. And that's when Briggs mm-hmm. came in. Um, and then three games into the season, next season Jeff gets 
fired. Mike becomes the head coach. Briggsy becomes the USL coach, takes him to the championship game. Mike's off on a runner. He's perfect with the media. And now Weibel's starting to build the team or rebuild the team in a brand new identity. Episode 8 will include the Mike Petke uh, journals, the diaries. sisters. The Mike Petke uh, diaries. But it, it feels like, as you guys are describing it, 2015, a little bit like the end of Goodfellas with Derek and the Dominoes playing Layla, <laughs> oh and the camera goes Such in and out. Such a good reference. Oh, it, it, and it's one, of the, it's one of the most iconic scenes in the history of cinema, for sure, but it feels like the end, you know, the beginning of the end of sorts. Is that dramatic, or is that somewhat accurate? And obviously, the pivot yeah, into a new era had a good yeah, different direction. I think it's accurate. I don't, I don't know that. And again, I was in the eye of the hurricane. I don't know if I realized it at the time. When did you start to wonder whether or not you know Jeff was going to be around the next week or whatever? Did you have premonitions early that season? Um, Donnie, I want you to answer. Yeah, there was question. an air of inevitability. Okay. The moment that I felt like for Jeff to hold on to the position that those first five games were vital, vital okay. for him to start well. And if he didn't, um, I think we all, for me, my perspective, we all had, well, Deloitte won't want to buy him out. I mean, he's not going to want to pay the dude. Deloitte doesn't want to pay anybody. Mm. So why would he want to pay a year for a guy to sit there and do nothing? And that's maybe why... Jeff lasted into the new season when he probably could have brought someone in and gave him a full preseason and not had to deal with the helter-skelter. But this league and these owners have a penchant for holding on to guys because they don't want to pay out. They don't want to pay out their the rest of their buyout or sure, the rest yeah. of their contract. Yeah. So I felt heading into that next season, his third season in charge, that unless he started strong, there was a serious threat because Pecky was there, ready-made, and had experience. Despite Craig, to this day, being adamant, he never, ever, ever hired Mike Pecky to be the Monarchs coach to then become the Real Salt Lake head coach. Well, I mean... Which comes into play now with yeah, yeah. Pablo Mastroni being mm -hmm. here and coming in and his background as a head coach in Colorado with so, Freddie Warren. So before we end this one, and coming up next, episode eight, we only have three more of these things. Uh, unless we finish 10 and decide to do another. But the goal is 10, and the goal is to have all 10 out before the season starts. So we'll, you know, we'll, we'll keep dropping them. But before we say goodnight for this one, I guess, Trey, we'll start with you. Final thoughts on Jeff Kassar's tenure after taking over for his friend Jason Kreiss, how we should talk about Jeff in fairness, the entire measure of the tenure. And final thoughts on this, I'll call it a transition year. Every organization has more than a few. Yeah, so – you know, I think we talked earlier on in the episode about Jeff's man management skills in the locker room. Um, I've had numerous GMs tell me that they think Jeff is the best, one of the best goalkeeper coaches they've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And he will always have a job in the game as that. Um, we see it now. Jason keeps hiring him. U.S. Soccer keeps hiring him. Uh, for various age groups and various camps. Um, but it was obviously not a successful uh, two-plus years. As Garth goes up to Seattle, Jason's in Manchester, Jeff takes over, one good season, then one pretty uh, catastrophic one, uh, loses his job. We'll get to that transition next episode. But, Dunny, your final thoughts on uh, the same time frame? Yeah, so what I would say is I agree with Trey 100% with – 
Jeff being one of the best goalkeeper coaches and assistant coaches that I've seen in Major League Soccer. Um, the safe route for Jeff would have been to take the opportunity with Jason, Miles, and CJ and go to NYCFC and Manchester City, 100%. The fact that he was offered the opportunity to become a head coach in Major League Soccer, I wonder if, you know, subconsciously he felt like this was only going, this is going to be the only opportunity he would ever have to become a head coach in Major League Soccer. So why not take said opportunity? Um, full disclosure, he and I currently are not in a good place. We have not been in a good place um, since he departed. You and Jeff, to I mean, be Jeff clear. and I are not, Jeff and I were teammates. Jeff and I, I felt like, had a really good relationship. Uh, some things transpired after he was let go. Um, some stuff that the air is not clear. I'm not in a good space with him, have not been. I have zero communication with him. Um, and so with, I would never hesitate to give him the respect that he deserves because, again, as an assistant, I think he's one of the best. As a head coach, I'm not sure he's ever going to get that opportunity at an MLS level to coach again. That being said, I think there's a lot of guys in the same category that have been MLS head coaches that will never get an opportunity uh, because I think the league has grown and transitioned away from giving opportunities to people like uh, two situations like Jeff had the opportunity to capitalize on. Do you care to elaborate at all on the situation with you and Jeff? You want to leave it there? Um, totally your call. Either way, no pressure. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a broadcast. There was some text messages sent my way. I felt like they were out of line. I responded in, in, in due course. Um, he reached out. I declined to uh, have anything to do with it. I just felt like there was a line drawn in the sand that should have never been crossed considering how supportive I was of him, both publicly and privately. And uh, But I get it. you know, Shit happens. And sometimes feelings get hurt. And he obviously felt the need to come at me, which is disappointing because I always felt like I had his back. And, you know, we shared some important times. But, you know, he's he's not the first or the last that's come after me. So I'm not sure. really not really concerned. When you do this for a living, the problem is you're existing in a constant game of telephone. Yeah, Remember oh, the old 100%. game yeah, that we played yeah, as kids? Yeah, I can't even tell. On a daily basis, it's like, hey, I heard you said the Jazz suck. I'm like, <laughs> No, I said that they're not going to win the championship, yeah. but who told you, oh, you hate the Jets? No, I don't. It's yeah. like people get, hear no, what they want to hear. You know what I mean? No, Trey's been there. He's seen it. Yeah. Guy's coming up to me and be like, my girlfriend said that you said I was not. Just <laughs> go ahead, go watch it. Right. Come back to yep. me. Yeah. If I said it, then we'll have a conversation. Sure, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, look, Jeff had a very successful first year, did not make the playoffs his second year. His third year, RSL loses in a knockout game at LA. Um, with Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think it's important to remember 
that the last regular season game of 2016 is the game where Javi was held out. And okay, that- hold on. We can't do that tonight. Oh, okay. Because that is, to me, something that mandates a 20 to 30-minute conversation. Got it. You can't allow the greatest player in the history of your club to go out like that. Deal? Deal. Because there, there are plenty of things that I want to get to for episode eight, but I think we call it there for episode seven. He, don't even, you, even, don't if you agree? He, even, even if he only played like eight more games for the rest of his career in a I different am, team, in I a different am city? open to you putting in my place for this because no, I don't know if you guys right. knew this. I left in 2011. I, I just so I came at this from an outsider. No, I just didn't want to. Nugget. I just yeah. didn't want us to get to the Pecky stuff without covering that because correct that yeah. is Kassar, that is Weibel, that is. Everything that transpires over the offseason that leads into Jeff only lasting three games into 2017. Let's do that next episode. Oh and the next next That's episode. That's a Molokov cocktail you just threw out Exactly. There. So that comes your way, episode eight. And look, there's a ton that obviously goes into it after that. As I mentioned, you got to stop jerking that microphone around. As I mentioned, um, we're going to try to do 10 of these things. If we finish, luckily I killed his mic. If we finish 10 and feel like there's more meat on the bone, we might... Uh, go in that direction. All right, great stuff with our guys Brian Dunseth and Trey Fitzgerald. Again, really interesting stuff from Dunny, uh, and I really appreciate the, uh, you know, the ability of both Trey and Dunny to kind of take the listener behind the scenes a little bit to learn something that maybe you didn't know. I know I did, and I was there. I mean, oftentimes things happen that uh, you're just not really aware of. So great stuff from those two. All right, coming up next, it's part two of this uh, episode of the podcast conversation with myself, Trey Fitzgerald. And RS, former RSL beat writer, I should say, the great Chris Kamrani. Okay, let's go. We're back. You just heard a conversation with myself, Trey Fitzgerald, and Brian Dunseth about the transition from Jason Christ to Jeff Kassar, and then a little bit about Garth Lagerwey's final year. We'll get more into that next episode. But now we have Trey Fitzgerald back in studio, and we brought in the master of the dark arts himself, RSL B-Rider during this time frame, Chris Kamrani, live in studio. CK, how are you? I wish I was still called RSL B-Rider. Those were the heydays. Did, do you miss being on the RSL oh, Beat? Yeah. yeah. No, so you two work together a lot. because of me? Yes. See, a lot. I don't know if you know this. I was gone by the time. You know, this, <laughs> Had you gone somewhere? Yeah, I left for the Jazz in 2011. Oh, it's not a big okay. deal. But, um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have Chris in is, you know, with the two of you working together, I thought we could have a, uh, you know, kind of an intricate, uh, nuanced conversation about going from Jason to Jeff and what that time was like. Sound good? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Chris, uh, before you were the B-Rider, you followed the, t- the club. Yeah, yeah? yeah. What was your reaction when you heard that uh, the decision was made to bring in Jeff Kassar to replace Jason Christ? Well, let's see. This was a few days after MLS Cup 2013. Uh, we still didn't really have, at least from the outside, much clarity on um, what the situation was with Jason Christ. But all indications pointed to Jason going to New York to take that job with NYCFC under the city umbrella. And Deloitte Hansen, this was his first major hire as an owner, as his individual owner of the club. And uh, basically it was seen as a two-horse race between Jeff Kassar and, you know, Jason's former right-hand man, Robin Frazier. And Deloitte decided to go in-house, I think, at the time, uh, Jeff was probably an easier pick for Deloitte because it was somebody that he knew and somebody that could keep continuity within the organization. They were still a very veteran-heavy roster. It wasn't a difficult lift, let's say, that following season. And I think we saw in 2014 
that until the playoffs, that team was basically hitting on all cylinders until I guess the first week of November. Trey, one of the one of the reasons that um, I think it'll be interesting to get CK's take on all this. Your your um, philosophy as our communications director, the PR side of things, I think is a little bit different. Um, and I always, I always found it to be the right, the right approach. Where you know, you wanted to give a guy like Chris Camerani as much access as possible, yep. as opposed to you know having a game on a Saturday and not telling anyone, <laughs> which seems to be how where we're at now. But what was, what was that like for you? Like when you were in charge of media access, you seem to have the policy that uh, more access for media members, the better. Is that, is that right? One hundred percent. And and I was lucky because. You know, as you've heard me kind of pontificate, with soccer being in growth mode and in uh, still a mode where you need to educate kind of mainstream media, um, I think access is the number one avenue to that education. And, you know, I knew Chris. Um, Chris obviously knew the game. Uh, Chris is a fantastic journalist, so it was easy for us to – for me to advocate for him to have inside the ropes access. It was also easy for me because I had people like Dave Checkets and Garth Lagerway who shared that same philosophy that, you know, the best way to get our fans to kind of understand what was going on was through the media. And again, media has changed a, a long time since then. And I think Chris's uh, main editor, um, what is his name, Chris? I'm blanking. Joe Baird. No, Michael uh, Anastasi. Oh, Anastasi. Sorry, uh, Anastasi, who had come from L.A. when yeah. RSL started, he was a guy that always liked to remind me that he put all his chips in at the Trib Sports Desk on RSL. And, you know, maybe he said that in order for us to give them some favored nation status. But at this time, the Salt Lake Tribune set the tone for every other sports media and mainstream media outlet in our market they were the bellwether so um michael c lewis man yep the the godfather michael c lauren gustus who's back with the trib she covered us for a a time as well so we always had i think a very symbiotic relationship with the tribune as well as many other outlets but primarily the tribune chris you you know you've worked in the market for a long time how did how did trey's ethos for media access help you do your job as as it compares to maybe some other sure. people in the market. Well, I think um, it, having watched the rise of the club, you got to see that through the lens of the media as somebody who would read the newspapers. And I read Michael C. Lewis. I read James Edward in the Deseret News. And these were two soccer knowledge beat writers in a new MLS market so you saw from an outsider's perspective that they were getting the access that was probably necessary in order to grow the sport. And I think it really didn't hit the next level until RSL started becoming successful. Yeah. And there was more excitement around the the club. Um, and I mean, I kind of fell in ass backwards to the job because there was a lot of shuffling going on um, on the Tribune sports staff at the time because Aaron Falk was the RSLB writer, and after Bill Oram left to cover the Lakers, who was our jazz B writer, Aaron got promoted to RSL, oh, and I right. got I or got promoted to the jazz, and yeah. I got promoted to RSL on the fly. Did you chase that beat? Did you want the RSL? Yeah, beat? Okay. yeah, yeah. So that was kind of like back then. I mean, it was it was kind of cutthroat. Like you came in and you had to grind and grit your teeth on preps and and try to impress editors and 
you know, outside of the collegiate sports, like it was RSL and the jazz as the two professional beats. So, I mean, I, I remember going to breakfast with, with Trey at the park cafe and kind of laying out like how I envisioned covering the team. And it was easy at the time because like you were allowed that access, but for a first year beat writer, you had guys on that team that were so helpful. Um, I can't even like begin to talk about like having guys like Nat Borchers, Tony Beltran, Chris Wingert, uh, Ned Grabovoy. These were guys who understood their roles with, you know, within the club and it's, and it's fun. I mean, I think I would throw Javier Morales in there as well. Guys who would always take time to talk to you about anything. Yeah. And those kind of things help uh, the journalist covering the team um, open things up to fans from a different perspective as opposed to, you know, nuts and bolts, you know, gamer, recap, notebook, so sure. on and so forth. Trey, Trey, you know, it's interesting to hear some of the names that covered RSL over those years. Yeah. What would um, like a typical process be like if, if, if a guy like CK or Falk had an idea, would they call you and say this and you guys talk it through and then you execute it? Like, yeah. I think the listeners would be interested sure. in the process I, like I that. I think, you, you know, again, it was, it's, it's a healthy back and forth. And I don't want to go back to the word symbiotic too much, but Compendium? You know, is that today's compendium? No, no it, it is symbiotic, be. though, for yeah. sure. So, you know, Chris and I would constantly be in communication. I'd give Chris heads up of like, hey, this is what's coming down the pipe. Um, I mean, to the point where even Garth was comfortable with me saying, hey, these are some trades that may or may not happen. Just be ready. Or we're in discussions. Or, you know, we're looking at, you know, we may get a national team game here for this time period, you know, carve out A1 on the trip, you know, and then Chris would also come to me and he'd be like, hey, I, I talked to Javi and I really want to do something on, you know, how his family's adjusting. Or, you know, we would just kind of kick around, kick the tires on different ideas and some would stick and some wouldn't, some would find life. Sometimes I would go into that locker room and say, hey, Ned. Um, well, the Ned's the Ned story about his kids sure. was really the first big one where you you and Sam had to go to bat and be like, because Ned Grabovoy had twins who had some health complications yep. after mm-hmm. they were born, yep. and he hadn't told that story, and that was like my first couple months on the beat, and I went to Sam Say School, who was part of Trey staff at the time, and I went to Trey and I said, "This is is a great story. Would you go to bat for me and kind of pitch it to Ned and?" Uh, with the understanding that I would do it the right way. And I think you, you go with ideas, but at the end of the day, it's always up to the subject. And But you have to have a, a, a fixer, so to speak, in Trey to be able to go out and make that sell. And, and Chris had earned the trust of everybody in the organization. So I think it was an easy conversation with Ned because Chris was at training every day. You know, and this is when we talk about what's lost in the current Zoom environment and access. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's the main thing is players aren't able to have those even little side five minutes that may not be about basketball or football or soccer. But the recorder's not even on. Yeah, you're just getting to know somebody on a little bit of a human level. And now impressions are built on Twitter, Instagram comments and um, I think it's going to take some special earth movement to get some of the, those things back. So a couple of things I want to do. Um, first of all, this, you know, we, we try to be chronological here, but since this is the first time we have Chris on the pod, I think we can get some um, a big picture macro type thoughts from Chris. But before we do that, um, this was the year that Deloitte took over as sole owner of RSL, you know, beforehand. Second year. 
Uh, so, you know, the, so the conversation that you heard before oh, with see. Dunny and Trey and myself, that's that's where we ended. So the question I had and with the theme of uh, media access, yeah. trying to build the brand, trying to continue to raise awareness for soccer. What were if there were any changes between the year before and when Deloitte took over full bore as far as your ability to sell the club and try to help raise more brand awareness? Yeah, it, w- it was a gradual, I think, loss of. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli? I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Trust, value, importance in how we communicated to the fans through the media. Was there more paranoia right away? Um, or is, is that something that grew over the years? Because well, it's there now. Look, yeah, sure. I I think it's a lot of things. And and I think once Garth left, um, you know, Craig Weibel had a very different view of how to deal with the media. Craig Weibel had a great relationship with Chris, mm-hmm. but when Chris moved on and, and Maddie Lee became the beat writer. And then when I left and Alex Vehar became the beat writer, I don't think Weibel had similar relationships yeah. with those people. Um, certainly I think Jeff in many ways was easier with the media than Jason Christ. That was, I was going to ask you that too. Um, yeah. And then, you know, Deloitte wasn't Dave Checkett's in terms of his ease in a media a microphone, a camera environment, but for instance, when Gordon Monson wrote an article after Bill Manning was let go, Deloy's reaction was to napalm the entire trip. Right. It wasn't just Monson. It, it was Chris and everybody else. that, And I had to kind of fight through that and try to either rebuild that in certain ways. Yeah. Um, it's all coming back. So, yeah, you know. And well, I was doing a radio show with Gordon at the time. Yeah. So, of course, I remember. And his, you know, he would ask me the question, like, why, you know, what's Deloitte like? And I didn't have any frame of reference. Sure. You know, after you guys pulled and, this and credential. look, I think all three of us have been around Deloitte enough to know that there are, are times where he is extraordinarily genuine and engaging and passionate about the subject matter. And then there are other times where he does not want to discuss anything at all. And you, honestly, you just don't always know what you're going to get before that particular moment in time. I want to stay in the space for a moment um, because, you know, I, I can remember when I heard that Deloitte was pulling Gordon's credential. Well, and it I, wasn't Deloitte. Well, well whoever yeah. it was, but I remember when I heard that the message was, you're going to pull Deloitte's credential. And I called you, I'm like, or excuse me, you're going to pull Gordon's credential. Yeah. And I called you, I'm like, what, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. You know, and I, I think Donald Trump's lasting legacy is just the ability to, you know, lie through his teeth sure. and pull access from people, just say fake news. And that's a really slippery slope. Chris, what was that like? 
like for you when yeah. Gordon wrote the story and then the trip kind of suffered the consequences? So this is the s- second year of Jeff Kassar's uh, tenure as head coach. We're in 2015. Uh, at this point, RSL has taken a step back. This was after Nat Borchers gets dealt. This is after Chris Wingert and Ned Grabovoy are taken by NYCFC yep. in the yep. expansion draft. Lots of new faces, similar faces still with mm-hmm. Javi, Nick, and Kyle, um, but but lots of guys that were coming in and out of the team. They were struggling, and once Bill left, um, Gordon wrote his column. And that was August of fifteen. Yes, okay. for clarity. And I was uh, I'm, I'm at my buddy's little sister's wedding. Um, it's at the place where you play in a uh, Gardner Village. There's a sure, there's yeah, yeah. indoor yep. soccer, yep. and then there's mm-hmm. like a wedding venue there. I'm walking in and Alexi Lawless <clears throat> calls my phone and I'm, I'm the one who bugs Alexi with, you know, insight for stuff. And he mm-hmm. calls me and he says, he's like, Hey man, what's going on? I said, Oh, nothing, Alexi. I'm just walking into a, a, a wedding reception. He said, I heard you guys are getting your credentials pulled by RSL. And I said, well, that's news to me. Oh, you hadn't heard yet. Oh, I hadn't heard yet. Okay. So and uh, just so you know, <laughs> that conversation is already yeah. nine months later. This is summer of 16 when the whole credential thing happened. Okay. Yeah. Continue. Um, so, Basically, um, I was told that I wasn't going to cover uh, a game. I think it was that day. And I you're think. still the B writer. Yep. 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 And um, it was an awkward space to be in because I, like Trace, I mean, that was my third, fourth year on the beat. I'd kind of like established myself. And um, I was told by my bosses that because Gordon wasn't going to be allowed as a credentialed me- mem- media member, that I wasn't going to go in my usual uh, capacity. So mm. I stayed at home. And, and watched the game, and I wrote a terrible 350-word <laughs> gamer without quotes and uh, went to bed. And, you know, that 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 kind of always loomed over uh, Deloitte's tenure as as owner was yep. the, was the uh, battle with the Tribune and how he felt like he was slighted. But from a personal standpoint, and Trey will back me up on this, I think Deloitte uh, respected me enough to um, – I put in requests to talk to Deloitte on a weekly basis with Trey, so I apologize to him for that because there was a lot. But Deloitte gave me the time, and he shot straight with me more often than not mm-hmm. in, in interview settings. But um, it was a very interesting time coming in because – I had helped with sidebars, you know, during the tail end of Jason's career before becoming the main beat writer. And then all of a sudden, 14 happens. And 14 was a very terrible year from a beat writer's perspective to be ready for what was about to come because that team was really good. I mean, they w- that, w- that was the end of that era, without a doubt. Yep. But after that, it was just a revolving door. There just wasn't much there. Um, and to your, you know, your, your point about media access and Trey's point about, you know, being a training every day. I'll never forget uh, the 5-0 loss to LA in the second game of the 2014 playoffs. And every single player talked to me every single. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I was, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Not a lot of people were afforded to travel beat writers back then or Mm -hmm. or chose to, but I think that mattered. And like sitting there in that locker room and talking to guys like Nat and Ned and Chris and Tony and Javi and Kyle and Nick about like they knew they knew that that was their last hurrah. That's interesting. They knew and and the way that game went, it was so kind of emblematic of just the the not the fall, but generations fade, man. Yeah. And that generation 
of RSL was really, really good. Trey, before I forget, let me follow up because I honestly, until you said it wasn't Deloitte's decision to pull Gordon's credential, I'd always operated off that assumption. And I can remember when we spoke, I asked you, I said, well, let's get Deloitte on the big show, the show I was doing with Gordon. Yeah. And I said, I want Deloitte and I want to be able to ask him whatever I want. And sure. you said, no, I'm not doing that. There's a press release if you Google it. I'll, I'll, ch- I'll, I'll check it out. But whose whose decision was that if uh, it was not Deloitte's? It was my boss, Andy Carroll's decision. Oh, okay. Who was yep. choosing to do what he thought was protecting Deloy because he overheard me and Matt Gash talking about seating arrangements. And I think I said something like, you know, put Gordon next to Chris. And he comes into my office like, whoa, whoa, whoa Gordon Monson's not setting foot in this stadium. And I'm like, he's come to probably five games since he wrote, you know, that article um, in August of last year. So, you know, we had a big back and forth. Obviously, I was extremely worried about um, the precedent that it might set. And the optics. My reputation. Certainly the optics. And, the and, and I mean, I guess this is the nicest thing that Andy Carroll ever said to me is about two or three days later, after we had been a joke in Deadspin, a joke, an absolute joke in every soccer media circle. And I told you this was going to be bad. Well, I and, I, and I told, I mean, I'm on, I mean, for all of Friday afternoon and Saturday morning, I'm on the phone with Joe Baird, who's Chris and Gordon's boss. I'm on the phone with people at the league. I'm on the phone with Andy Carroll, Matt Gash. Like, we're all discussing this. I think this. you talked to Terry Orham at the time. Uh, sure, yeah. No, um, we went and had a face-to-face yep. with, with Terry, who was the what publisher at the Editor time? Editor and publisher. Yeah. yeah. So, and everything that I predicted would happen as a result of this happened as I said it would in the sequence I said it would. So, thankfully for me at the time, whatever, um, the morning of the Inter Milan game, which was a Tuesday morning, um, I get a call from the league like, okay, this has gone on long enough. You need to reinstate. Gordon's credential and I'm like okay but you know that I never wanted to pull the credential like it's ridiculous and they're like I know I know so um, you know it's so go ahead and finish no it's just I mean for Andy to come back around and said well I guess you're like Nostradamus everything played out exactly the way you predicted it's yeah. like yeah not my first freaking rodeo man you, you know f- five years later you're right CK I just googled it yeah. and awful announcing uh, all of these crazy I, I mean all of these blogs all of these sports outlets still have the piece up here's what Andy said quote we are not trying to control the message. We are not telling anyone what to write or not to write, but we are simply choosing in this isolated case to not invite someone who we feel is unfair and biased and who possesses a conflict of interest in our house. Carol claims Monson has a conflict of interest because he co-hosts an afternoon sports talk radio show on 12 of the zone with Spence Chackets, uh-huh. who is the son of former RSL owner, Dave Chackets. Honestly, I, my head was so down because I had left. I was with the Jazz at the time <laughs> that this didn't reverberate with me the way it did with everybody else. But mm-hmm. reviewing some of these documents in the statement just as a result of a Google search, it, it was a big deal, wasn't it, Chris? It was big and it was awkward, I think, because there was such a healthy operating relationship between um, RSL's media department and the local you know, press. I got calls from people who were like, I don't want to go cover the game out of solidarity with you guys. Interesting, yeah. And I I, I was, you know, I said, you know, you guys do what you got to do. But, like, it's a bummer from Trey's perspective who had been there for 12 years at that point and built all this clout. And all of a sudden, 
a lot of it ends up getting raked over the coals. But, I mean, it was an odd era of RSL. Those... My name was not on that press release. Yep. I was I was very worried about my reputation. Um, I think I said this in the pod, Spence, but I I called you uh, when I pulled into the stadium. I was like, I can't I can't even open my car. I remember it was a game against the New England Revolution. Right. I eventually did get out of my car and go stand in the press box. I don't think I talked to anybody. I all had day. to walk you off the ledge, man. Yeah, you, you no, were I was I was devastated, yeah. and, and, and I probably was making it a bigger deal than it was I mean I don't think I knew in the moment how fast media and everything was changing but mm-hmm. just philosophically it was just such a a, a miss miss period but mismanaged miss uh, interpretation miss everything yeah and I think I just felt like I failed to express to Andy and Deloy uh, how petty and thin-skinned it would make us look yeah. and how quickly it would undo everything we had we had built everything i i'd felt intimately involved in fighting for over the previous 12 years and look i'm biased i did a radio show with gordon for seven years so he's my guy he's still my guy you know despite a little bit of a pivot in his delivery these days and there's nothing wrong with it um but you mentioned that you were with the trip doing some sidebars when jason was the coach can you speak to the difference latrey alluded to a little bit Uh, of working with Jason as opposed to Jeff Kassar? I have great stories. Let's hear it. Um, I think it was my first week on the beat. It was cold as, can we swear on this? Go ahead. Cold as shit at AFF. Like one of those windy days and I had coffee and I didn't pee and there's a porta potty kitty corner from where the media were, but you had to walk all the way around and I said, Sam, I'm going to explode. I have to go piss. And, And I go without asking Jason and Jason, I can just hear screaming at Sam while I'm peeing through the porta potty door. Um, that's just a fun anecdote. Um, you know, I was able to catch up with Jason recently for that story I did on the Real Madrid game. And it's crazy to think that it's been eight years since that first year on the beat. Yeah. They're just markedly different people. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I agree. I think, um, Jason was the very, strict, stern, thorough head coach. And at the time, Jeff was the guy that could shoot the shit with the players. He were he was able to pick guys up when they were down. He was, I don't... Jeff Kassar is a good time, man. Every, everybody good everybody time. can be called a player's coach, but as an assistant, Jeff was the definition of that. Sure. And I think at the time, when you look at that roster makeup, in their mind, that group probably thought, we're still set up to contend, why not just roll with kind of what we have in-house? And to be fair, I mean, Trey's the encyclopedia. I think they finished like second or third that year. Yeah, 55 points. It was a great I mean, season. That's insane. When we asked Garth who the best team was, I think that was one of the options. Didn't he say 10 and 14? Yeah. Am I remember that I mean, correctly? No. Yeah. 14 was an insane year because you had – Javi was, I think – Javi did the Benjamin Button thing, in my opinion. I think he played the best soccer of his career those last three years at RSL. Interesting, yeah. And that was really the start of that. Um, you know, that front office went out and signed Luke Mulholland, who nobody had really ever heard of, and Luke scored in that first game um, in, in L.A. Uh, in Jeff's first coach, first debut coaching job. And then Joao Plata was, and yeah. this is the craziest thing, and I tell people this all the time, Ned, I, I used to take what Ned Grabovoy said as gospel because he didn't mince words. <laughs> Ned Grabovoy told me that jo- Joao Plata was their best soccer player on that team. Oh, I've never heard. That's interesting. He told me that, that one-on-one. On one. Mm-hmm. He said 
he said Javi's the Javi is the most talented but like if Joao Plata put it together he was like he he has the highest ceiling of anybody in this room and you saw it I mean that was the start of that little run for him too where in 14 15 16 he was one of the best strikers in this league um so yeah it 14 was 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 an interesting time because they just rolled through everything until getting demolished by a team that I mean I've never seen RSL played off the field the way it was. Oh, and, it, and it came down to the Robbie Keane um yep. Salcedo Carlos yep. Salcedo Mind episode yeah. yeah. Was that Keane's prime in MLS cuz when when that dude was dialed in he yeah. was as good as anyone yeah, I, I saw live in this league. I don't remember exactly how many years he was in the league. It seemed like he was in his prime every time he suited up like plus he was unbelievable fif- plus 15 goal di- differential that's third in team history yeah uh third in conference fourth overall qualified for CONCACAF so yeah definitely a good year well, what was your last year on the beat uh full year Oof. um Trey <laughs> Trey I don't even I think, know I think it was 17 okay I think Maddie came in 17 okay I think that's when I transitioned to kind of the features role Maddie Maddie Lee, Maddie Lee. okay but but what was weird too is that Two out of those years that they were in theory down, they were they were in the Concacaf Champions League. Yeah, and and the one thing that I go back to a lot with with my RSL buddies is RSL was insanely close to beating the best team in this continent in Tigres. If Javi makes that PK in that at home in that yep. second leg, it's now one one, and RSL or no, sorry. They were up 1-0. Mm-hmm. Javi needed to make it 2-0 in order to tie it on aggregate because Tigris had 1-2-0 down there. Okay. If Javi, it was like the 80th minute, the Tigris goalie makes an insane save. If Javi scores that PK, I think RSL wins. Instead, they have to throw the kitchen sink at Tigris. Andre Pierre-Gignac scores a, a third. It's over. But, I mean, it was such an odd time because the 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 glory years were fading but those stars like Javi were still keeping them afloat. It was it was just a very interesting time to be a beat writer. All right, here's what we're going to do because we're up against it. We yeah. have a little bit of a hard out. We had a little bit of a complication to start things. But um, CK, I want to end with you because, you know, on the podcast side of things, this is going to be a little more evergreen. I know we've talked about these these things on the daily and Trey and I uh, will, you know, we'll continue to have the conversation in the space. But what do you? What's your hope for what's next with this club? As we sit here on this day, March thirty first, uh, still no change of ownership from my vantage point. No news of what could come next. But as a guy that followed the sure. team before you covered the team, and then yeah. covered the team, and still, I, I think want to see good things for it. What do you? What do you hope is next for RSL? <clears throat> um, I, I think RSL unfortunately is the poster child of everything MLS shouldn't be right now. And it's really interesting to say that because MLS has made strides, insane strides in the last decade. And RSL was a part of that. Yep. But right now you're you're operating in a league that's close to having 30 teams, but you're having one club being run by the league because of uh, a myriad of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, they need an, an owner or ownership group to come in here and spend a lot of money. Uh, you know, somebody... A very smart person who has in-depth knowledge of the history of RSL told me recently that an owner has to come in and be willing to lose twenty or thirty million dollars in right. order to get this thing back on track from a pl- from the player's perspective. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing because everything else is already in place. Yep. It would be one thing if you had stadium questions, facility questions. Right now, you have to figure out a way to get the fan base re- uh, reinvigorated. 
and revitalized, and that will cost a lot of money because the league is leaving clubs like RSL behind in a GIF. Well, I appreciate you coming in. That was yep. good stuff. All right, so there you go. Episode 8 of the Comprehensive History over Al Salt Lake, Trey Fitzgerald, Chris Camerani. Next week, Episode 9, will feature a sit-down with Jeff Kassar, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening to the Comprehensive History of RSL here on Reality Check. And there you have it, Episode 7 of the Comprehensive History of Real Salt Lake in the books. Now, uh, coming up next week during Episode 8, it features a sit-down with myself, Trey Fitzgerald, and former RSL manager, Jeff Kassar. Now, this comes off the heels of uh, Jeff being the goalkeeper coach for the U23 team that did not qualify for the Olympics, and their head coach happened to be one Jason Christ. So we talk a little bit about that with Jeff and uh, the current state of the U.S. men's national team. So uh, you're going to want to stay tuned for that. Coming up next week will be Episode 8. And uh, with that, I want to say a special thank you to our guy Chris Camerani, in addition to Trey Fitzgerald and Brian Dunseth. Porter, who comes in early and stays late to produce this podcast, deserves a lot of credit as well. I want to remind you to please subscribe, rate, and review the pod. Share it with someone uh, that you think might like it. I would appreciate it. That'll do it for us right here on the Comprehensive History of Real Salt Lake, brought to you by Reality Check. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.